What's happening, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Crossed Up. It is a Tuesday morning, fresh off a Memorial Day weekend. Hope everybody had a good one at the shore, at their barbecues, not watching the Philadelphia Phillies the past five or six days. Hopefully you were able to stay away from that. Unfortunately, Anthony and I did watch the Phillies. I'm sure that a lot of you listening did as well. And boy, what an absolute train wreck, disaster, dumpster fire mess of a road trip it was. And then it continued yesterday on Memorial Day with an extra innings loss to the San Francisco Giants. Gabe Kapler back in town. And the Phillies rip your heart out one more time. Anthony, the Phillies are seven games under 500. For the first time since the 2017 season, this is an unmitigated disaster. I feel like Michael Barkan. What's happening? What do you got for me? Well, it is. I mean, and, and, you know, you cannot be seven games under 500 with this roster. You can't. Uh, there's it, it, this is this is failing at the highest level, uh, and there's no other way around it. Um, it's very it's it's frustrating as a fan, obviously, to sit there and watch it, but it's. You know, it's also disappointing from the perspective of, of, of baseball in the sense that, you know, it's not like the people that, are, that the Phillies have in place here now are people who don't know what they're doing. They had those people in place. And we, we had the, the Matt Clentacks here, right, who were just kind of dopes and, and ruined the franchise in a lot of ways. I mean, we got a guy in place here in Dombrowski who's a proven winner um, and who's proven a proven winner in different ways. Uh, starting with a team that's, that was ready to win and, and, and then you know, getting the final pieces, um, blowing up a team and rebuilding it like he did in Detroit. Um, like he's won in multiple different ways. So we're not talking about someone here who, who doesn't know what he's doing. And you have to think that, you know, he look, comes into the season, he's like, okay, well, look, 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 I finally got John Middleton to spend over the, the, the tax uh, threshold. Um, I went out and got these players and we're going to make this team better. I don't think that he was wrong in his approach other than maybe ignoring defense a little bit, but at the same time, it's not working. And well, why is it not? And, and, and so now what we have to do, Bob, I think rather than, you know, we have to sit here in our boiling in our frustration and our anger and our misery, and we have to figure out what the hell can be done at this point because it's getting away from this team really quick, really quick. And that's a difficult question to answer. What can be done to fix what we're seeing unfold on a daily basis right now and there probably is no single singular solution right um and i think that there's a lot that we could talk about dave dombrowski and how this roster has been constructed i do think is actually a, a pretty interesting conversation to have you know did they did they go all in on offense during a season in which offense has been it seemingly uh at, at it just it couldn't be less important. No, nobody's hitting. There's no team that's really hitting across the league right now, and they can't catch the baseball and they can't close games. And it's so it's a mess on a lot of different fronts. And we can talk about roster construction, uh, but I think that the thing we have to talk about at the top of this show is really the hottest topic as it pertains to the Phillies right now, which is Joe Girardi. And obviously, when things don't go well, when the expectations are as great as they are. Uh, people want to point fingers. It's very easy to point a finger at a coach or a manager when things don't go well. And so naturally, we have arrived at this point where Joe's got to go, right? And I guess that's where I want to start. Uh, because I will tell you, and I, I will preface this by saying, like, I was on WIP 
uh, yesterday morning. Uh, and uh, John Johnson asked me point blank, you know, would you fire Joe Girardi? Is it time? And I, I said, you know, I'm not a huge fire the manager guy. I wasn't with Gabe Kapler. Uh, it's just not really my nature to call for people's jobs necessarily. But it is reaching a point where I keep saying to myself, like, well, could it really be any worse? And I know that that's not a great reason to fire somebody. But I do wonder, after two seasons of Gabe Kapler and a 497 winning percentage, here's Joe Girardi now, two plus seasons with a 483 winning percentage with seemingly a better roster. How much more time does he get? And while I don't think it's all his fault, I do wonder if they do make a move just for the sake of making a move. I know you have thoughts on this, so let's get into it. Yeah, I mean, look, I've not been happy with some of the decisions that Girardi has made. Um, especially in the, in the last week or so, um, a number of those decisions have really left me scratching my head. Like, what the hell are you doing, Joe? Um, that being said, I don't necessarily know that there's a solution to fixing the problem of the Phillies that fires the manager and that changes everything. Like, I don't see it. And, and I, I, I don't think that, you know, if you want my honest opinion... I don't think that they're going to fire him. I think that this is a season where he's in the final season of a contract. Um, who's your replacement? Dusty Wathen? Like, I mean, it's just it's, it's somebody from within the organization. There's nobody, like, outside the organization that's really going to come in here and crack some skulls and get them to play a certain way. Um, so, you, you, you know, you look at it and say, we, we ride or die this season with what we have, and then we can make the – if you're going to make a coaching change, you make in the offseason. What you have to do instead – is you have to look at this team as it stands, as it is, where it is right now, and yeah, it's a mess. You're so far out of the division race right now. You, you need you know binoculars to see the Mets, but you know you're you're not out of the wild card race. I mean, you're far. You're not necessarily close, but you're not out of the wild card race. So you got to start looking at it from that perspective and say, okay, well, we can still chase that down. How do we fix it? And it has to be fixed on a on the roster, the players that are playing. Like that—that's what's got to be fixed, and so you got to start looking at individual situations, and then hope that the manager doesn't screw it up royally over the rest of the season, and you know, and and cost you a playoff spot. But that—that's where you really have to. I think you have to go, and I think we're—I think we're really kind of—we're missing the boat with our anger. It's okay to be mad at the manager for decisions. We're never going to agree with managers, right? I mean. You, you would manage a team one way. I would manage it another way. Joe Girardi manages another way. Gabe Kapler manages another way. Everybody manages differently. And I, I got to give you credit, Bob, because <laughs> uh, yeah, no, because we had this argument a couple years ago when it was we were debating whether or not the Phillies should fire Gabe Kapler. Now, granted, it wasn't in season that we were really having this discussion. We were talking about it at the end of the year, which was a little bit different. But um, I, I was of the mindset that he was not a good manager and that they, they needed to get a better person in place that could, that could manage the talent that they had. And, and you, to your credit, said, I'm not certain that anybody could come in with this roster that the Phillies had and, and win with this team. And it's been, you've been proven right. And, and, and so, so, therefore, I think that if you've already made that change, and, yes, there's different players now than there were when the roster was changed, but the, that Phillies team a couple years ago had similar expectations to make the playoffs – so if, if you've made the change of the manager and you're still not a playoff caliber team, then it really has to come down to the roster. That's the next move. So I think there has to be changes on the roster first, and then we can address the manager in the offseason if, if, if you don't make the playoffs this year. So uh, the, the thing I guess I am 
am having a hard time with is that this roster, in my estimation, though flawed, and I mean, defensively, they are just, they're obviously terrible. They're dead last in defensive runs saved. That's not really a surprise. I think we kind of assumed that they would be. Uh, but the starting pitching has been pretty good. I know Zach Eflin's had a couple letdowns at, at City Field in May. But other than that, he's been fantastic. Kyle Gibson's really given you some quality starts. Aaron Nola has been very good this year. Zach Wheeler wasn't here in 2019. He's been phenomenal. I just look at the starting pitching, and I look at the way that this lineup is, is supposed to compete nightly, and it is a better team than 2019. And while I think that the premise is still true, like the manager is not the primary reason this team is, is losing – there's more invested and it's a better team and they're getting worse results. And so it's like, by no measure, can you look at the job that Joe Girardi's done since he's arrived here and said, wow, he's done a very good job or that they've, they've squeezed the most they can out of a flawed product. I really do feel like that there's an underachieving element to this. And I, I just, I will say like, I agree with you, but for the, for the premise of the show, like, I don't want to do, like, a, a fake debate or, like, just take opposite sides for the sake of taking opposite sides. But I know there are a lot of people that are listening to this podcast that are really angry and really, they want blood. And they want change. And so they want Joe Girardi fired because they will feel good in the moment. Um, and I understand that. And, like, I can make the case to fire the guy. I could. Because you're not going to do any worse. Like, the Phillies... Aren't going to play over their next 49 games, seven games under 500 if they fire Joe Girardi. They're not. So, like, you almost have nothing to lose in that sense, especially because he is a lame duck guy. And let's face it, what would you put the probability of Joe Girardi being the Phillies manager in 2023 at this point? Like, 15%? We have to make the playoffs. We got to get in. If he doesn't get in the playoffs, it ain't happening. He's out. No doubt. And I just think that where the frustration comes in, like you can look at all of these moves, and I know we've talked about this, but you can look at all of these moves in isolation. Bailey Falter to start the Mets series. Nick Nelson with the wraparound inning last Tuesday in Atlanta. Some of the decisions that he's made, uh, just late game, pinch hitting, defensive substitutions, bullpen usage, the philosophical approach to not using a guy three straight nights. You can look at all of those things and want to rip your hair out over it, but I think that collectively, together, all of them, and I wrote this this morning, all of these moves are emblematic of just this lack of urgency, lack of energy, lack of something that this team has seemed to have missed for the last few years now, and maybe even predates his arrival here. So that I can understand where fans are like, God, you know, there's got to be a little bit more fire. There's got to be a little bit more something. They just seem to not have that. I can, I, I, I can see why people feel that way. But to have them, you know, even in the past week, three times. I know. I know. Come back in games that they shouldn't, you know, that they shouldn't have come back in. Or four times, really, if you count the game they're down 7 nothing, even though they lose that game 8-6. But four times. Really be... You know, down to the down and out, three times they get the lead, and then blow it. You know, or th or three times at least tie it or get the lead, and then, and then blow it after the after the fact. The bullpen blows it. That should be in, that should be emblematic that a team is not quitting, and it's not the same guy every time. It was Harper. It was Castellanos. It was um, it was Schwarber. It was a whole slew of people in that six run inning. Um, against the Mets, like I mean, so it's it's not like it's it's not like you're sitting there saying, 
yeah, they really don't have it. They, this team's not they, – they give up. They don't – they fight to the end offensively. It's the, it's the bullpen that's costing and them. I hear you. Like, and we're not in a situation where teams just come out and score 10 runs every night. Like, yeah. You can't equate, like, run production to fire and energy necessarily. But, like, as you said that, I agree. I hear you. And if they would have won on Tuesday night and if they would have won on Sunday night and if they would have held on yesterday – the, the whole vibe of this conversation would be a lot different. You'd say, wow, you know, they've really gone through it. They're a couple games under 500, but they keep punching back late, and you got to give them credit. Yeah. The only thing I can say is, like, this is obviously an arbitrary conversation when you're trying to talk about like, resiliency and fire and energy. I do wonder, though, like, how do you come out on Friday night and find yourself down 7 nothing, 8 nothing at the start of the game? Or I guess it was 7 nothing. How do you come out for, for 8 innings yesterday and just score 2 runs? Like, I know it's hard to hit, and I know the game this season especially, it's hard to produce runs. But, like, there is just this part of me, it's like watching this, and I'm like, there's just nothing here. It shouldn't require a late game home run to show that you're resilient. Sure, you're resilient by coming out with your hair on fire and just taking it to a team in the first play. Sunday night, Reese Hoskins, that ball to first base, he turns and spins and uh, takes Johan Camargo off the bag at second base. Like, that shows to me, like, a lack of focus, a lack of energy, a lack of urgency, just as much as a late game home run does, you know, on the flip side of things. Well, I, I look at it, Bob, and it's funny. We had this conversation, not intended for the Phillies, but we had this conversation in the last episode. And it was not like I had planned this. It just happened. It fell this way, right, this week. Um, last week, at the very end, one last thing, I, I asked you about the Yankees being a come-from-behind team. And what does it mean? Like, is it, Does it mean that they're a good team, that they keep coming from behind and winning games? Or does it mean that, you know, why do you have to come from behind in the first place? You get behind. You shouldn't get behind in games. And now, all of a sudden, here we are at the Phillies. In facing very similar situations where they are, they've had a BA come from behind team and have done you know, what the Yankees have done. And we concluded last week because we looked at who all the good teams are with the come from behind, all the come from behind victory teams. They're all good teams, right? And it happens. So you say, okay, well, maybe the Phillies are better than we think, but then they go ahead and blow it again, right? I mean, so so the, the difference between the Yankees and the Phillies is the fact that the Yankees hold on and the Phillies don't. Um, but I think that, what Joe's already saying this morning. Well, when yeah. I was in New York, we held on to these. We leads. held on to these leads, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, but no, but I think that, I think when you look at it, and this is one of the things that's it's interesting. You, know, you keep hearing Girardi saying, "We know it's coming." You keep hearing Dombrowski came out. And he spoke this week, and he said, "You know, the, the offense is going to come. The offense, we know, we believe it's going to come." And it makes me wonder if you know they're looking at, at things that are down the road, and like we are sometimes, and you see you can put, put the two and two together, and you say, okay. The schedule's going to get easier, number one. And number two, second half of the year, they're talking about going back to the old ball again, right? And so, and so now all of a sudden, Major League Baseball is going to realizing, oh, shit, we've, hope so. we've, hope screwed, so. we've screwed up with this ball. We've got, to, we've got to let the ball fly a little bit more again. And then hey, so maybe they know something we don't. I don't know. I'm not saying that for certain. But it's weird to be confident, overconfident, when your team's been as, as inconsistent as it's been, right? I mean, it just seems weird to, to have the manager and the general manager be like, we know it's coming. It'll come. Don't worry about it. It'll be there. I will say this, and, and back to the Girardi point specifically, you said you don't think he's going anywhere. And I do think it could reach a level where things get so bad where they would make a change. Like, for instance, if they get swept by the Giants here and they lose two out of three or get swept by the Angels and they find themselves 9, 10, 11 games down at the end of next weekend, 
I do think it would it could reach a point of absurdity where they say like listen we know that there's 15 different issues we know it's not all Joe's fault we've got to do something so I do think it could sink to that level but as it stands right now this morning listening to Joe Girardi I was there yesterday post game he's like it's going to turn he does not sound like a manager who feels that his job is in jeopardy at the moment now it could get there quickly it could it's professional sports things happen uh, someone could say enough's enough, but right now, I don't think that Joe feels like they're a series loss to the Giants away from his job being taken away. And I don't think – I didn't get that sense from Dombrowski either. Yeah. You know, when he said, you know, he, if he said Joe's been fine. I mean, if there's – if I don't like a manager, he won't be, he won't be here. Well, kind I will of say, Dave Dombrowski said that, what? six losses ago i mean so you know <laughs> right. things can change you, you, sure. you can say it's going to turn it's going to turn and if it doesn't and not only does it not turn it just goes completely the other way i do think that there's expectations i think even internally like you know i do believe that they feel they can make the playoffs this year so they they i believe feel like there's a season to save at some point and they're going to have to do something if it doesn't turn quickly. Um, so while I don't think he's headed anywhere right now, I do think that could change if things get really ugly. I mean, well, they are really ugly right now, but I'm talking, you know, another five games in, lose four of your next five, and then I think you start really having that conversation. I know some people would have had the conversation after the 10th game of the season. Yeah, and look, I mean, like I said, there have been things that he's done that have really frustrated me. And I'll, t I'll give you one that no one's even talked about. No one's even talked about this, and to me, it was one of his more egregious mistakes. Um, it's when you you take you do the defensive switch, and you put Roman Quinn in, and you take Castellanos out after he hits the home run in, in New York, right, to put them up Sunday night, put him up five to four, and he replaces Castellanos rather than replacing Schwarber. Now, I get it. You want you know you're trying to get your best left field, right field combination, because that's the two more important positions in the outfield. I get it. That said, you have to sometimes manage with the forethought that what if things go wrong and we have to bat again? Right. And by putting Quinn in for, for Castellanos, you put him behind Harper. Now you're going into extra innings where you have a ghost runner, right? What are the odds that they're going to pitch to Bryce Harper? You just took... A, a potential at bat away from your best player if the Mets tied the game, right. which they did. And they got out of the inning in the 10th inning because they were able to intentionally walk Harper and get to Quinn. If you want to put Quinn in, you keep Castellanos, put him in left, you take Schwarber out. Now, Quinn still has to bat, but Quinn has to bat second in the inning as opposed to behind Harper. Right. You gotta give, you gotta, you got to leave the protection there for Bryce. And Cassiano's just hit you a three-run homer. Why would you take that bat out of the lineup, right? He just hits the big home run. So to me, that – yeah, the bullpen blows it, okay? I mean, and we can talk about – we're going to talk about Kniebel um, because that, that pitch was just god-awful, terrible, the worst pitch possible that you could throw to a freaking minor league kid who's never hit, gotten a hit in Major League Baseball, okay? It's the worst pitch you could throw to him. Um, especially with, especially when you want to go, you sh like, what are you trying to set up a slider with a fast? I, mean, oh, I don't even want to get in there. You get into that. <laughs> but the, the point is, is that um, you have to think sometimes when you're making those defensive replacements, you have to think, okay, but what are the ramifications if we give up the game and we have to bat again? 
Right. And I don't think that he did that at all. I don't think that was ever taken into consideration. It was, I'm just going to put this defensive replacement in, and it's going to help us win the game, and not thinking through to the and I and I think that that advanced thinking sometimes is what is missing with Joe. And I, I do agree with that. I think that sometimes he makes decisions that, that are in the moment for that moment without thinking how that could be affected if something goes wrong with his decision. And I think that that's something that that really needs to be considered because the bull he manages the bullpen that way. The, the other thought that I've had with with Joe is Obviously, this bullpen is is short. It's probably three arms short from being a competent bullpen. So he doesn't have a lot out there. And so you have to maximize what you do have out there. And so it's interesting to me that Sir Anthony Dominguez throws on May 21st, May 22nd against the Dodgers. So that's Mm -hmm. Saturday and the Sunday game against the Dodgers last weekend. Obviously, you get into Monday night, Tuesday night, and you say we, we he needed he needed a day on Monday. I get that he's a guy coming off an injury, and then you you wanted to give him that extra day on Tuesday. You knew going into Tuesday night you didn't have him. Well, then lo and behold, the way that the next two games play out, you have your best reliever who does not appear in a four game set against the Atlanta Braves, and then he doesn't appear on Friday night. And so then what do you do Saturday night? You're like, oh, he hasn't been out there for six days now. We got to get him some work, right? So he comes into an 8-2 game, throws a couple pitches. I think and he then, threw one pitch. I think it was I, only yeah, one. One, yeah. So he, he goes one-third of an inning, and now you've utilized him. That's one, and we all know Joe's philosophy. Three straight days, can't have it. So then he comes back, he appears on Sunday night. Okay. So then you get to yesterday's game. 2-2, it's late, and you don't have your best guy again. And while I understand, like, hey, six days have gone by, we need to get get him some work. I don't think you can have it both ways right now if you're Joe. Like you you can't do that. You can't use your best reliever and get him some work when you know that it's going to take him out of the equation in a game where you could very well need him 2 days from now. Right. And it's it's crazy, right? Because like you know like if a relief pitcher hasn't gone for a week, you do. You have to get him in the game. That's how baseball works. But if you're going to stick so clearly to that philosophy, I don't know that you can do that. Yeah. And I think it, it, what bothers me is that the, the organization accepts this. Like, you would think that if, if, if the organization thought it was ridiculous, that they would go to him and be like, Joe, you can't, you can't do it. You gotta, you, we're, we're telling you. Put the, pitch the guy. You got to pitch him. You, gotta, you need him, you got to pitch him. Like, but they're, they're bought into it. And that's well, we what, talked about it. Like, that's what bothers me. That bothers me more. Because I agree with you, Bob. I agree with you 100% on Dominguez. He's got, and, then, and then the whole three-day rule, I get it. I understand. But if you throw one pitch on Saturday, why does that count as a day? Well, I'll tell you what. He had to get up. He had to get lathered up. You throw Okay, fine. Bed. So Brogdon threw two, two warm-ups yesterday. He, he warmed up twice yesterday. Does that mean he's unavailable tonight? Would you be surprised? I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I mean, so, you know, I mean, listen, and you can look at this a couple different ways. You could take it higher level and say, hey, from a roster standpoint, it shouldn't, it shouldn't have to be that way. You know, you should have some other viable options that you can go to down there where you wouldn't feel the loss of a guy like Dominguez for one game. But because they're so thin, because they don't have that depth, 
I think you really have to be careful how you're utilizing these guys the other way. And, you know, we've talked about it. I've been quick to point out that these are collaborative decisions. This isn't Joe all on his own. But I will tell you, Joe has final say on how these guys are utilized, how he rolls them out there, when he's going to protect someone, when he's not. Like, if, if Joe Girardi said, we're going to keep our foot on the gas and we're going to Sir Anthony Dominguez in a spot where... By, by rule, we technically wouldn't go to him. Like, I don't think he would receive blowback in that situation. So, um, while I, I do know it's a collaborative process, it's Joe's decision, and he's the one that has to wear it. And if, if he didn't agree with it, if there were a time where he wanted to really step on the gas and go, and he wasn't allowed to, you don't think, with all the criticism that he's taken, that he wouldn't find a way to let you know that? Oh, I know. You're right. You're right. I mean, so this, I'm not trying to say it's not Joe's rule it's certainly his i mean he's even yeah. said it it's he's put it out there i mean it's his thing what what disappoints me is that the organization doesn't step in and say hey your rule stinks you know it's got to and not to say you can't do it most of the time but when you get into a situation like we've gotten into this week a couple of times yeah you know what? that's a time when you, when it's okay it's okay to break the rule right. it's 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 a good rule and we're, we'll follow it most of the time but when, when we really need to break it to ensure a victory, then damn it, Joe, break it. And if you don't break it, then we have an issue. And that's what's something that's got to come down from above. Well, especially and, and, where they're at in the standings right now. I mean, right. the season is slipping away from them. And there's just no other way to get around it. You can be the most measured and rational person on earth and say, hey, it's May 31st. There are only 50 games in. The season is slipping away from them. So now you're in a spot where you really do have to think about it. Yeah. Oh, there's no, there's no question. I would have thought it wasn't even a think about it moment for me. Like I was, like I, literally, I'm like, where's Dominguez? Twice, I'm like, where's the, where's Dominguez? Why isn't he in this game? And it's just like it just, it just floors me. And so by this rationale, Bob, let's just look at it real quick. So Knievel's pitched two days in a row now, right? So he's on. A, we know he's not pitching tonight. Okay. I actually deal with that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Right a, off, Corey. Yeah. So, he, so Corey's, Corey's out tonight. Brad Hands pitched two games in a row. Yeah. Right. So he's out tonight. Out. Out tonight. Bellotti threw twenty some pitches or whatever it was. So he's out tonight. Right. Brogdon got up twice. Right. Probably. Probably knocks him out for tonight. You're now down in the bullpen to. It was like a Norwood night. Right. I mean, you got. You're gonna have Norwood, Nelson. Um, who else? Uh, Norwood, Nelson, and and uh, uh, Familia, uh, and and I guess Dominguez closes for you if you get into a closer situation. So That's what you're saying you, is, uh, it might be a, not. might not be a bad night to take the Giants on the money line. Huh? Well, I'm just saying we got nothing left, and and Ranger Suarez is not going deep in games. Oh, man, they really need him to to turn it around tonight. They really need six innings out of him tonight. That, so so that's my point. Like at some point, Girardi's going to have to violate his own rule. And if it and if it's violating the rule because your starting pitcher had a bad game and your bullpen is so short that well we got we had no choice but we had to throw uh, Brad Hand a third game and third day in a row oh yeah. oh and a game that really didn't matter when it did, when it was low leverage and it doesn't oh that's okay but when it, when the game's on the line it's not it's okay it's not okay like that's where I have a real problem with this whole rule that's that's me and, you know and, and again. I don't think it's a fireable offense. You know, I don't look at it and say, well, that's it's so stupid. Because the team has to come down. The organization has to look at that and say, you got to fix that. That's got to be changed. And yeah. the organization's not doing that. So they're all at fault. They're all well, at fault. 
along the same uh, idea of, of maximizing what you do have, I think that, listen, in any other year, tweeted this, in any other year, talking about the closer would be the number one priority right now. We would be leading off our show with the Phillies have to do something at closer. Yep. And uh, Corey Knebel in April was fine, and in the month of May, it has not gone well. Despite what he thinks about his own performance, he was asked after the game yesterday, hey, you know, what do you think about your performance? <laughs> It's been a rough month, huh? And he goes, nah, I mean, I had two bad days. Oh, no big deal then. I mean, Corey Knebel this month in 12 games has a 5-4-0 ERA. Whip is 1.63. He's walking batters. He's giving up home runs now here late in the month. Um, I believe he had three blown saves and then took the loss or, you know, didn't blow the save yesterday, but was obviously right in the middle of of a, a bad loss for the Phillies. So he's been a mess. And not only has he been a mess, but then you step back and you look at Sir Anthony Dominguez, and by almost every measure, he has outpitched Corey Knebel. Uh, better ERA, more strikeouts per nine, less walks per nine, better whip. He's harder to hit, he misses more bats, he's nastier, he's better. Are the Phillies at a point now where they need to make a move at closer? Joe Girardi said he's going to stick with Corey Knebel, by the way, so if you're expecting a change, at least a, an announced change, that we're doing this, uh, don't hold your breath at least, at least this week. Are you asking me should they should they make the switch? Yeah, I'm asking you should they make the switch. Yes, they should have made the switch two weeks ago. We had to we, we were, when I was complaining about Alvarado and Familia getting the high leverage spots instead of instead of um, Dominguez in hand. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Dominguez is your best bullpen pitcher. He's your best. He's the got the the nastiest stuff. He's the guy that should have been in the game uh, against the Dodgers. Should have been in the game against the Braves. Should have been in the game against the Mets. Should have been in the game yesterday. He's the guy. He's the, the best pitcher you have out of the bullpen. That's who should be closing your games. Hands down, not a question, Bob. 100%, I agree with you. And it didn't take long to see it. And I understand coming off the injury, you want to kind of work him back. And that was, that's kind of what April was for, right, just to make sure that he's still okay, make sure that he's not over overthrowing or hurting himself or whatever. But dude's throwing 99, Hunter. He's coming in and just, and just blowing pitches by people. And he looks fine. You got you know even in, even the one start I think he had like the, he walked the first two batters and then you know the little conversation with Cotham comes out and I think he struck out the next two and then got a pop up like I mean he was he was been he's been really really good right. I, I I don't I don't see how you can you you could keep it this way I don't I really don't I mean just not she's not there for it for me man he just it's not doing it for me but you know now, you're, you're you know right I'm go ahead oh, go ahead go ahead. No, I mean, you, I'm like you're. I'm, you're right about you. I'm just like you know. He's saying now oh, he's he's only throwing two bad pitches. I, I, like I'm looking. I'm going back. He gave up three runs against the Mets in the in the in the crazy game that they lost seven to one, or they were they, they they were up seven to one, lost eight to seven. Right? He blows that game. All right, because uh, he probably wasn't prepared to pitch. And we actually were giving him a we were giving him a break with that one, right? Because it was like you're not your mindset's not there. So it's not in the mindset. Blows a game against the Dodgers. Right? That would have been the sweep in L.A. Uh, gives up uh, gives up the home run against the uh, the Dodgers uh, here. Although the Phillies did win it in extra innings, that crazy that crazy gave up the run there. All right, and the, you know it was a crazy uh, finish. The Phillies did win that game, but he gives up that run. Then he gives up the 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 home run to the Mets, and then blows it in extra innings, and then gives up the home run. Yeah, I mean that's what five five appearances this month. Yeah. Where he's just blown games. Yeah, I mean half of his appearances basically have resulted in a Phillies. Lost, should have lost. He was either right in the middle of it or contributed to it. And that's not a closer. No, it's not a closer. 
It's, it's interesting, if you go kind of a, like a little deeper into his numbers, the, the big thing that I kind of, when they first signed him, I was like, oh, the curveball. Like, watching the Dodgers play, I'm like, you know, oh, man, yeah. he's got curveball. And you look at his uh, stat cast numbers, and I don't want to dive too deeply into this, but if you watch him pitch this year, you go, this curveball's not very good. Like, it's it's not sharp. It isn't, it's not a hammer pitch for him. So I was like, let me just kind of dig into what I'm seeing here. And I can tell you he doesn't have as much confidence in it because he's not throwing it as much. So like last year, he threw his curveball 41.9% of his pitches. This year, he's throwing it 28.3% of the time. Mm -hmm. Last year, opponents hit 186 with a 233 slugging percentage against his curveball. This season, opponents hitting 278 against it with a 444 slugging percentage. That's 200 points higher and almost 100 points higher on the batting average. The curveball hasn't played. He's had to go to his fastball more, and he's just getting beat right now. And I'm not saying that he's not a good player, that he's, he's not going to recover and give this team big outs late in games at some point. Not saying that, but right now with the season on the brink, you've got to maximize every little advantage that you do have. I don't know how you don't make this switch. And by the way, it's a convenient way for Joe Girardi to do something that sends a message. Like if you believe in gestures and messaging to the clubhouse and shit like that, then this is a perfect opportunity to make a fairly significant change that will grab a couple headlines that guys will say, oh, okay. Yeah, no, no, you're you're 100 right. What do you have to lose? Yeah, no, you're 100 right. And the thing of it is, and I, and you like you said, you go deeper into the numbers and you see that. And, and okay, maybe that's why he's throwing that fastball to the kid from the Mets who hits the home run on his, his first first major league hit. Uh, I don't even know what the kid what was his name that they called up play left Plummer. field. Plummer, Nick Plummer. Yeah. Um, but you first pitch to the kid, first pitch, you're throwing him a fastball. What do, you th- what do you think? The kid hasn't gotten a hit in Major League Baseball yet. What do you think he's looking for? You think he's going up there looking for the curve? Or is he going up there looking for a pitch that he can hit? Yep. He's going up there looking for a fastball. So throw, throw him the curveball and see how he reacts. Does he swing through it? Does he get a bat on it at all? Does he, does he spit on it? So, learn from, from it. You've got to throw curveball first there. I, I, I don't know. I just it, it, was like, it was like stupid. And I don't know if that's the, the pitcher calling that. Is it is it, are, are the catchers calling? To, are the, the calls coming from the bench? I, I don't know how it works. I mean, maybe you do, Bob, with the Phillies, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe I mean, you said, well, he doesn't have confidence in the curveball. Maybe he doesn't. But then again, maybe the Phillies want him throwing more fastballs. Who knows? I mean, I, I like I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe you have better probably insight into that than I do. Into, honestly, I mean, that that probably is a question worth digging into. Um, listen, I, I'll tell you this. Um, <laughs> I watched yesterday's game, and I. I, I can't believe that we're, we're going to have this conversation because I, I want to preface this by saying we've talked about Odubel Herrera on this show quite a bit this season. And I don't want to sound like the the number one uh, Odubel Herrera support podcast. Like, he's not a great player. He obviously makes just unforgivable mental mistakes. I think it's a very, very fair c- criticism to say that he's not a winning player. I, if, you, if you wanted to say that, you probably wouldn't get a lot of pushback from me. The Phillies, we talk about intangibles, and they seem to be missing something for multiple years. And I don't think Odubel Herrera is really important enough in the Phillies clubhouse to be a player that you can blame for this, to, to be just brutally honest. But 
if you if you don't want this guy here and you want to move on from him, I, I get it. And so I'm not trying to sit here and, and make this case that, that, wow, like, this guy's not getting any respect and he should. But I'm going to tell you something. Mickey Moniak comes back yesterday, and I don't envy the situation that Mickey Moniak's in. Because in a perfect world, Mickey Moniak, right, comes into spring training. He's an afterthought. And to his credit... He was phenomenal. I believe he hit 378 in spring training. He earned a job on a major league roster when they broke camp. Now, he breaks his wrist on April 6th. He misses seven, eight weeks. And during eight games in his rehab assignment, he was really good. 13 for 33, a couple extra base hits. Again, he deserves a look. So here he comes. And in a perfect world... Mickey Moniak comes back to a really good lineup and a good team, and he slots in and hits 8th or ninth against righties sometimes, and you just see what he has. You just see what he has. But instead, the Phillies are free-falling. The lineup has been completely unproductive. They have struggled to get production overall from center field position, although a lot of that really comes from Roman Quinn and Matt Beerling. And instead now of a guy just slotting back in and maybe being a complimentary piece, people are looking at Mickey Moniak to basically save the season, revitalize the Phillies lineup. And it's not going to happen. I'm sorry. Like, you know, I love Jack and uh, Fritz and, and we talk all the time. And there are a lot of people that are like, Mickey Moniak, here, here comes the Mick. Like, dude, Mickey Moniak, like, let's, let's relax here. It's... Before yesterday's game, he's 6-for-47 lifetime at the Major League level with 22 strikeouts before yesterday's game. Mickey Moniak still has a chance to be a nice player. He's 24 years old. He obviously has some type of ceiling. He was the first overall pick of the draft. And he did a great job to put himself in position to even be in the conversation right now. But if you're looking at Mickey Moniak to come in and, and hit 330 for the Phillies, it's, it's probably not going to happen. And by the way, where I'm really driving at here, you want to get Mickey Moniak some at-bats for Kyle Schwarber because it's not going well right now? No problem. Taking Odubel Herrera out of the lineup right now with a team that has struggled to score runs, like you can complain all you want about him swinging at pitches between his legs and some of the dumb stuff he does. Have a look at the Phillies' box score right now after, mm -hmm. after yesterday's game. You'll notice that there is no player other than Bryce Harper even sniffing an 800 OPS. You know who is? Odubel Herrera. Yep. I don't know how you take his bat out of a lineup right now. Like You can want to move on from the player and not want him here, but you, you've resigned him as an organization. Like You made a decision to bring him back, and all he's done is actually exceed your expectations from a production standpoint, and now you're telling me he's the guy that's probably going to be the odd man out? Like I don't know, man. That's weird to me. It is weird, and I mean, I, I, you know, it makes me wonder. And you know, I, it's hard to criticize Schwarber today after what he did yesterday. Obviously, gets two hits, including the big home run um, to tie the game in the in the, in the ninth. So, um, you know, kudos to him for finally, you know, having that moment. <laughs> but prior to that, he was he's been terrible. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, he's you know not hitting below two hundred, leads the league in strikeouts. Just looks lost at the plate. I mean, the other night against against uh, uh, the Mets, boy, was it, his at bats were just were just Sunday. They were just so bad, so bad. And the, the pop out at the, and you know in the extra inning, like the whole thing, you know, and this, the look on his face. I, like I'm like saying, yeah, this guy needs to sit. 
this guy needs to needs to sit. But they're not sitting him. Why not? They, they know, like, if we're going to get hot, we need him to get hot. Like, I get it. Like, I get the gamble that you have to take with the upside of Kyle Schwarber. So, like, listen, just to, just to clarify here, because I know I was all over the place, I'm not saying that Odubel Herrera should start over Kyle Schwarber on a nightly basis. But I do think it's interesting that you have the production of Herrera, who has, for the most part, been pretty good. And you're scuffling at the plate as it is team-wide, and, and now you're going to remove him from the equation. And I get that they're in a tough spot. I get that there's really no obvious answer here. And I hope that Mickey Moniak, by the way, like, I don't want to sound like I'm hating on Mickey Moniak. I hope that the guy hits 350. I hope he completely revitalizes his career and becomes a stud. That would be great. I'm just saying, if you're banking on that, and it's a weird gamble right now when we talk about it, you have to get everything you can, like winning at the margins... Is now the time to do, like, the let's see if Mickey Moniak can hit the ground running and work through some early struggles? And, like, now does not feel like the time for that. Yeah, no, I, I, I know. I, I, and I wonder how long of a, of a leash there is here. Like, in all honesty, I, I wonder how, how much of a chance he really gets. Do they give him a month? I don't think they give him that long. I really don't, Bob. I think, think this, this is, is like 20 plate appearances, and if he's one for 19 with a walk and a single, that like that's that's it. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do, I, I do think it's that. I do think it's, you know, back down, send him back down again. Because let's put it this way: let's be honest. He wasn't in their plans coming into spring training. No, he was not. Right? I mean, he he basically opened their eyes and and won a shot in spring training before the injury, so he wasn't in their plans. So like. I can't sit here and say, "Oh well, you know, gee, Mickey Moniak, man, you know, we got to bring him, give him as much you know leeway as possible to, to really earn that because of, of the, you know how well he played in spring training for three weeks." No. Now, if you fall uh, 15 games out of the wild card and you get to August and September, and right. you know and that this team isn't going anywhere, then yeah, like turn fine. the page, right? right. Like, here you go, Mickey. Here's here's two months, but right now, critical juncture of the season, fork right. in the road. It's a weird time, and again, he he has earned the right to be up here. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be, uh, but I if the plan is like we're gonna let him work through the growing pains right now, I, that I do not get. And it was one game yesterday. I'm sure he's nervous. There's some rust. It's major league pitching. It's not rehab starts. It's not spring training. There are a lot of different things that go into this. Like so, he's earned the right, but I don't think he's earned the right to struggle for four weeks just because you don't like the guy that that's been out there for the last month. You know, and that's that's the way I look at it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Bob. I agree. Uh, I know we got to wrap this up early today, so we want to get to one last thing real quick. Sure. Lay it Ma- on me. Juan Soto. Can you believe that there is conversation out there now that he would be available at the trade deadline? you got to wonder, what the hell are the Washington Nationals thinking? This guy might be the best player in baseball. I mean, it's close, but he's certainly top four, top five, right? But And could arguably be the best player in the game. Why? And he's 23. Why would you consider trading him now and being bad for, for a decade and let him go to some other team where they're going to be dominant? I mean, because you, know you know who gets into the mix for that. Same, same old, same old. It's all the teams with the big money, sure. right? So why why allow that to happen? 
Like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it, Bob. I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. The, the what, only way you look at it is if you just say we're going to reinvent ourselves as the the Oakland Athletics of the East. Like, we're not going to invest in in big time contracts. Like, they have him under team control through twenty twenty four. You would obviously get the world back for him, but he, he's a future Hall of Famer, right? Like Juan Soto, so long as he stays on the field, is going to be a Hall of Famer. Like, yeah. do you ever really get the return? Even if you're, you're you get free run at a minor league system, take your pick. You're, our four best guys, you're probably not going to get the return of a Hall of Famer who's 23 years old, no less. So. It makes no sense that way, but unless the organization is just like, we are not going to spend, we are going to do it differently, and now is the time that we can really cash in at the highest value, maybe, but no, I mean, it's crazy, and I don't think they're going to do this. I, I mean, I know that I know that there have been whispers, there have been suggestions that they will do it. I would be stunned if they did it. I, I, ho- I hope they don't. I really don't. I really do. For the sake of the game, for right. the sake of the sport, I really hope that you don't take – a 23-year-old superstar who could be the best player in the sport and trade him away because just you don't want to you don't want to worry about signing him to a big money contract in 2 years. And I do like, think it, it, it's almost kind of the opposite of what you'd expect like oh if he goes to the Dodgers he'll have more exposure and he'll flourish or if he goes to hmm. the Yankees sometimes I almost think that these these exceptional players that are isolated on teams that aren't the Dodgers and the Yankees they, they have a chance to almost like thrive and, and build an identity of their own, and they are the attraction. They're not just part of a machine, you know? Right. Right. Look, look I, I get it if he's like 27, 28, he's in his prime, you know, he's approaching free agency. You don't think you'll be able to keep him. That kind of, that kind of player, I'm, I, I get it. I still, I still don't think you should do it, but okay, fine. You know, like the, the, like, the, like the Harpers and the Machados and those kinds of players when they were going out into free agency. Okay. This is different. This is a whole different animal. And this is it. Concerns me for where baseball is. If if the if the Nationals are to move on from Juan Soto at this age, this year during the trade deadline, just because they don't want to sign him to a big money contract, it, it's a real concern for the sport of baseball. I'm right there with you. All right, well, listen, that'll do it for the latest episode of Crossed Up. Anthony and I will be back at the end of this week. Phillies wrap up with the Giants. Two more games. Before they welcome Mike Trout and the Angels uh, to town, which will definitely be a big draw at the ballpark this I, weekend. I like that you say Mike Trout, but you don't say Shohei Otani. Oh, and Shohei Otani, of course. I mean, it should be fun. It should be fun. The, the park will be rocking, and for maybe not for the Phillies, but just for the uh, hey, no uh, Shohei on the no Shohei on the mound for, against the Phillies. He's pitching. You know, he pitches every sixth day with the yeah, Angels. For That's the sake weird. Of the Phillies right now, that that may be for the best. Weird schedule. Yeah, he's not pitching this weekend. All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to follow us uh, on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you get your podcasts, and we will talk to you soon.